And we're live. I welcome everybody to another episode of Not Another Military History Podcast. My name is Jacob. With me today again is Liam. How goes it, Liam? Goes well, Jacob. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. I'm about to talk about more uh, more ways in which uh, creative ways in which people use elephants to kill each other. So always a good time. I mean, I'm always down to hear about more crazy ways that something was used to to kill someone. I mean, elephants just make it more fun. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty consistent through line for our military history. Is like, oh, something encounter something weird or strange. Hmm. How can we use it to kill people? Like. <laughs> Pretty nice. Every peaceful invention, somebody has thought, yes, but can we use it for war? Pretty much. That's 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 pretty pretty common. But uh, so uh, we went ahead, and this is the third episode in our series on history of war elephants. So last time we talked about the successor wars, and that was kind of the successor wars. That kind of was a great kind of proving ground for elephants in battle. I mean, they were first encountered by Alexander the Great to India. He brings them back. And then all these other Greek generals, after his passing, start to use them in very different ways uh, to try, you know, like, one-up each other and try to gain advantages over each other. So we're going to go ahead and wrap that up. We're also going to talk about how the Romans first started encountering the war elephants and then kind of leading into uh, the Punic Wars, so, you know, Rome versus Carthage. So it's really fascinating stuff. So uh, before we get too much into that, you might ask, just how do they acquire so many elephants on a consistent basis for warfare? So, uh, now you might, you know, ask, you know, like, why didn't they breed them? But breeding really wasn't an option. Uh, well, for one, of course, you know, in Greece, there's not going to be any elephants to begin with. And in Mesopotamia, uh, all the elephants had largely been poached out of existence due to the ivory trade. So they were getting all their elephants from India. And the Indian rulers were very clever in that they only gave the Greeks bulls because they didn't want to basically give away their, you know, like, their cash cow, essentially. They're like, you know, hey, we're making all these money off of these. And if the Greeks learn to start, you know, breeding them on their own, you, you know, if we give them, the, you know, the uh, the mothers and everything, then, you know, we're not going to have the edge on that. So the Indian rulers pretty much gave bulls exclusively to the Westerners to preserve their monopoly. Uh, now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, female elephants also are not as good for war as they do not have the right temperament. They don't have that aggression that the males have. Uh, plus, they also don't have tusks that are so great for stabbing other people with. So uh, elephants are also notoriously difficult to breed. Uh, even under ideal conditions, female elephants are very difficult to inseminate. Uh, most of their young born and captive conditions die within a few years. Uh, their pregnancies also last for two years. I mean, even even today, it's like, you know, the reason that you typically like, you know, if like an elephant gives birth, it's usually very big news because it doesn't happen that often in like captive conditions. Wow. Yeah. So, so they would even if they could get their hands on like a um, female elephant, it would just like you could not guarantee that you would successfully start breeding them it was yeah. very hit or miss yeah it's a and it's a two-year investment too so you you, you got these guys like hey well, i need to fight these battles now i can't just wait for two years and well, yeah, my my enemies are coming to kill me right now i <laughs> yeah. need elephants now so yeah, like, I mean, it's kind of like trying to explain to napoleon when he eventually ran out of cavalry like no no, no sir horses like horses don't just appear yeah they don't like, they, they don't just spray out of the ground. Like, you got to go, you got to breathe them, you got to raise them, you got to train them. I mean, the, the training alone for elephants, too, also takes years. So, uh, it, I mean, it just it made more economic sense just to go ahead and buy elephants that had already been trained, like, over in India. And oftentimes, these elephants were to come with experienced mahouts as well that knew 
the intricacies of elephants because not all elephants are alike of course you're going to have some that are going to have different temperaments you know you might have a how that would know like oh you know my elephant you know turns you know slower to the right than it does to the left you know so that that experience matters uh so yeah it just made more economic sense to either just buy them from india or just to capture them yourself so uh now uh, so Seleucids actually did try a breeding program though at one point, uh, but it wasn't very effective for the reasons we previously discussed. And so they still ended up having to capture wild elephants instead. So uh, now after the Allies, uh, we're, we're kind of finishing up the successor war. So after the Allies defeated Antigones, uh, the One-Eyed, they immediately started fighting each other. And Seleucids was now at war with Lysimachus, Cassander, and Ptolemy. Because these alliances just like... Go back and oh, yeah. forth, like. Hey constantly. everyone, we beat we beat the guy we united to defeat. Great. So I still hate you. Yes. You still hate me, right? It's like, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That guy's dead. Yeah, the only person connecting our, our united hatred is dead. So yeah, so I, I still mean, fucking want you dead, and now that guy that we all hate is gone. So I'm I'm gonna go to war with you again. So yeah, back to war. Yep. So uh, Ptolemy started capturing elephants along the shores of the Red Sea in ancient Somalia in order to oppose uh, Seleucus' elephant corps. Uh, now, they were captured and sent to Red Sea ports, where they were then transported by boat. And these, of course, would have been uh, African forest elephants, uh, not Asian elephants, uh, which, like we previously discussed in the last episode, are a bit smaller and uh, have a little bit shorter tusks, but otherwise, you know, relatively similar. But... Uh, so now the Egyptians actually used uh, the Indian method of capturing elephants as well, which is basically where you would have a tame elephant uh, go out into the jungle with like its mounts and basically kind of like lead the wild elephants. You know, they call it, it's called the kooky method where they would lead the wild elephants, you know, into like the pen. Uh, it was just uh, much easier and it avoid uh, the possibility of there being injury. Like if you try to use a pet or something like that as well. So uh, once the elephants were in Egypt, they would then train the art of war for several years until then they were deemed ready to go to war. And then they would fight in the successor wars, which eventually would basically kind of just peter out as they established their own kingdoms. And I mean, at this point, it's not really worth going into as much exactly how they ended. It's kind of just, you know, worth exploring for how they use elephants in warfare. And then it kind of eventually would just peter out. So uh, so now we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, the first encounter with the Romans. So uh, we're going to talk about a guy named Pyrrhus. So Pyrrhus was a Greek general from the region of Epirus, which is now Albania. Uh, he had fought during the successive wars under Demetrius and became a skilled cavalry general. Now, eventually, he would fight and defeat Demetrius himself, and became restless with no one left to fight. So it's, that, it's like, like that classic anime thing of like, Oh, I must defeat my master, you know, in battle. Like, oh, it's so sad. Like, yeah, I, I must betray the only man who put his trust in me. Mm-hmm. So th- there needs to be an anime about the successor wars. Like, I would watch a shit out of that. I think that'd be fun as hell. I'll, I'll contact my friends in Japan. We'll see what we can pick up. <laughs> Please do. So uh, now in 283 BCE, he received a call for aid from the city of Tarentum in southern Italy. Uh, they begged him for help against the wolves of Italy, who they refer to, uh, that's what they refer to as the Romans, you know. So they're like, hey, we, please help us. We need help from the Romans. We're trying to take over shit. And uh, Pyrrhus was kind of like an adventurer, you know. He wasn't really, like, tied to any one state. He kind of just, he had money, he had experience, he had an army. And he was like, oh, this seems like fun, you know. Like, I want to go fight some battles. Let me go ahead and, like, you know, basically use it as an excuse to go, like, tear some shit up in Italy. Yeah, let's, let's go to war. Hey, gang, we haven't had a war in a while. Let's let's go to war. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's there's no there's no internet, there's no TV, so what else are you going to do, right? Uh, 
It would. But, uh, it's better than sitting around. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Makes sense. But uh, so Pyrrhus uh, had a herd of 20 elephants with him when he traveled for Italy. Uh, these Pachyderm was a mixture of the old veteran elephants from King Porus's army that had fought Daspes, were at least 60 years old, and some younger ones from Ptolemy's army as well. So, I mean, elephants are like, are at this point, are like living long, in some cases, longer than people are. So you can easily have like elephant veterans going back to several wars, which to me is just really fascinating. Man, I, can we just have like a, like a mash? But of like elephants in the successor wars. Yes. Yeah. Just hey, kid. Just like a bunch of old guys who are who old elephants who have been serving in the war. Like one's a medic. Just a whole bunch of silly stories. And like their time. This calm lasts longer. The actual wars, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like mesh. That'd be amazing. But uh, so now. Uh, of course, these had to, in order to get across the Adriatic Sea, the, of course, the elephants had to go in ships. And we aren't exactly sure how the elephants travel on ships. It's not really mentioned exactly in the sources. Uh, we can infer, though, that for loading, the elephants would swim out to the ships. Uh, and then, you know, basically kind of like, you know, the lead elephants would swim out and then the other elephants would fall behind them. And then they were then lifted onto boats by means of a crane. Uh, elephants are very good swimmers. There was actually, I, re- I was reading about, there was a case... And uh, where there was a, a circus, a bunch of circus elephants were actually traveling on a ship off the coast of South Carolina in the 1850s. And then there was a storm that came by and sank the ship. But the elephants managed to actually, like, it was, they were like five miles off the shore. And so the elephants just, like, swam to shore and they were fine. You know, like. I mean, yeah. If there's one thing I remember from my childhood, it's that scene in Tarzan where all the elephants are swimming in, like, that deep, deep water. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow. Big, big, heavy creature. Swim well. Yes, that the the the, doc, the documentary Tarzan, absolutely. <laughs> it was absolutely a documentary. It was real life, right? Yeah, Phil Collins narrates everything I do as well. But uh, lucky man, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, as for how they traveled, it's most likely the elephants rode on the deck of the ship below the sails. So, like, if a storm were to sink the ship, they wouldn't all drown in the cargo hold. Uh, there were actually a few points where Pierce had to swim ash- uh, ashore during a storm at one point. It was able to collect some men and elephants at a landing site. So Pierce became officially the first man to evade a country by sea, uh, carrying war elephants with him. So Pierce's first... So he did, like, the first D-Day, essentially. First D-Day with elephants, absolutely, yes. Okay, there, there you go. And then, uh, <laughs> so uh, Pierce's first battle with the Romans was at Heraclea in 280 BCE. Initially, the battle did not go well for Pyrrhus. His cavalry was being pushed back by the numerically superior Roman horse, and then Pyrrhus decided to commit his war elephants to the fray. So I'm going to read you a little quote. That's kind of how that went for the Romans here. So, uh, Pyrrhus raised the signal for the elephants. Then, indeed, at the sight of the animals, which was all out of common experience, at their frightful trumpeting, and at the, also at the clatter of arms which their riders made, Seated in the towers, both the Romans themselves are panic-stricken, and their horses became frenzied and bolted, either shaking off their riders or bearing them away. Disheartened at this, the Roman army was turned to flight, and in their rout, some soldiers were slain by the men in the towers, the elephants' backs, and others by the beasts themselves, which destroyed many with their trunks and tusks, or teeth, in parentheses, and crushed and trampled underfoot as many more. The cavalry, following after, slew many, and not one, indeed, would have been left, had not an elephant been wounded, and not only gone to struggling itself as a result of the wound, but also by its trumpeting, thrown the rest into confusion. This restrained Pierce from pursuit. 
So the Romans are just absolutely, like, massacred by the Horde of Elephants. The only thing that saves them is that one of them, you know, goes into a panic and manages to kind of frighten the rest of them. But it's it doesn't go very well for the Romans. Yeah, that is... I mean, just imagine, you are a typical Roman soldier. You fought in countless wars. War has typically been people on foot or horse or chariot charging each other in an open field. And all of a sudden, this this weird guy from across the ocean or sea cocks up in these really large boats, just walks out with a couple of dudes, and you're you're fighting him like normal. And then all of a sudden, these giant monstrosities come out of nowhere. Yeah, just like I would trumpeting, I would have bellowing, a heart attack. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got the with people riding on with multiple people riding on their back, shooting arrows at you. Like, what no thank you yeah i mean it would break my my small roman brain yeah i mean and these i mean you gotta figure these guys i mean the largest animal they'd probably ever seen was like a cow you know and you're faced with like this like it could easily be like 12 foot beast you know and he's had a trunk and then he's picking you up with his trunk he's flinging you across the battlefield i mean it's just absolute terror i mean there's no other way to really describe it yeah uh so uh, the Romans ended up retreating in chaos, and in this battle, Pyrrhus only lost one elephant. So there's a few different reasons for the Roman defeat. Uh, for one, obviously the elephants were an entirely new thing to the Romans, uh, so they absolutely terrified them. Uh, moreover, at this point, the Roman legions were not professional soldiers. This is long before the Marian reforms of kind of create the professional military, you know, it's very organized that the Romans are known for. And then uh, they're mostly just, you know, citizen soldiers, you know, farmers who, you know, would be tending to their crops if they weren't at war. And then uh, thirdly, their short stabbing sword called the Gladius uh, was not adequate against the elephants or their guards. So uh, they, so we talked about a little bit in Battle of Adaspes how the, the Greeks used axes and the copuses. The copuses is, is a curved, the forward curved sword, kind of similar to a kukri that has a bit more uh, slashing, you know, way behind it. So a little bit better for slashing. The Gladius is not like that sort of weapon you, you wouldn't be going up against an elephant it's made it's, no, it's, it's like a yeah a short long sword yeah it's it's a, not a no, not an elephant killer yeah it's meant to it's meant to engage people like you know like thrust through gaps in the shield you know like and like you know stab somebody at close range it's not going to be useful against an elephant who has you know a massive trunk and you know like or I, in, like um and tusk and everything yeah yeah, I think I think you summed it up best at the start of that sentence. It's good against people. Yes. Not elephants. No, sir. So uh, after this battle, uh, Pyrrhus then tried to negotiate for the independence of the Greek cities in Italy to no avail. So the Romans are, uh, to their credit, very firm and just like saying, like, no, like, you get the fuck out of our peninsula, basically. So uh, in 279 BCE, he made the Romans again at the Battle of Asylum. And this time, they did bring some anti-elephant weapons with them. So I'm going to read you another quote and talk about what kind of weapons they were. So, outside the line, they stationed the light-armed troops in the wagons, 300 in number, which said, gone ready for the battle against the elephants. These wagons had upright beams on which were mounted movable transverse poles that could be swung around as quick as though in any direction one might wish. And on the ends of the poles, there were either tridents or sword-like spikes or sides, uh, all of iron. Or again, they had cranes that hurled down heavy, gripping, grappling irons. Many of the poles that attached to them and projected in front of the wagons, fire-bearing grapples wrapped in tow that had been liberally daubed with pitch, which meant standing on the wagons 
were to set afire as soon as it came near the elephants, and then rain blows with them upon the trunks and faces of the beast. More, f- or furthermore, standing on the wagons, lightly armed troops, bowmen, hurlers of stones, and slingers, who threw iron caltrops, and on the ground beside the wagons, there were still more men. So these are basically like anti-elephant wagons that have these beams that have like tridents and spears on the end of them that you can swing around to try and like get the elephants in the eye. They've got, you know, like men there, like they call them valetates who were uh, lightly armed, kind of like javelin throwers, trying to throw javelins at the eyes. They've got bowmen there. Uh, they've got like different like grappling cups to try to like bring the beast down. They've got like a, a whole like source of just anti-elephant weapons in these little carts here. Nice. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, Roman innovation, truly, at its its finest. Just they were they were so weird about this throughout history. Just oh man, we got our asses kicked by that one thing. Well, we're either gonna copy it because that's a really good killing thing, and we think it's really cool, so we want to do that too, or we're just gonna figure out like the best way to not get killed by that thing. <laughs> exactly. Can't yeah. copy it. And the Romans, this is the very first time they've ever seen elephants, so they're not going to have any of their own. So they're like, okay, this Mm-mm. is the best thing we can do to counteract that. So the best thing we can do is create a giant death wagon. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And hit it as hard as we can. Yeah, you'd be surprised how much like wagons come up as like you know like a uh, a weapon in warfare. Like I remember reading about the Hussite Wars in the uh in over in uh, Hungary and everything like Czech Republic and like the m- medieval era where they had like war wagons that had like you know like basically were like mobile you know like fortifications they were right on the battlefield and guys would snipe at each other with bows and everything shooting and crossbows and muskets and all that stuff but uh it's pretty neat but uh I I digress so uh so the Romans put their anti-elephant wagons on the wings of their army because that's where the elephants were at the Battle of Heraclea so in response, Pyrrhus did actually the smart thing and just arranged his elephants in the center and set up the sides and then sent archers and slingers to the wings to kill the wagon soldiers. Uh, once more, the elephants streamed to legion ranks and completely routed them. So Pyrrhus just sees them and is like, you know what? Like, you think I'm going to go this way? Nah, I'm going to go this way instead. <laughs> and then just fucks them up. <laughs> and then so... Strategy! Yes, strategy. So uh, one elephant uh, during the battle had his trunk cut off and Pyrrhus lost a few more of them. Uh, he famously said of this battle, though, uh, quote, One more victory like this, and I shall be ruined. So this is where, even though he won the battle, he lost a lot of his own men. And, you know, he, he can't just get reinforcements whenever he wants, right? He's crossed the ocean. So this is kind of where we get the saying that Pyrrhic victory. This is where we get that, uh, that's where that, you know, that saying comes from. So, uh, ah. yes. And then so, as the Romans panicked over Pyrrhus' consecutive victories, they considered his deal to leave the Greek city-states in southern Italy alone. Then, Carthage actually came and offered its aid. So, Carthage feared that if Pyrrhus got what he wanted in southern Italy, he would come to the same in Sicily, which the Carthaginians at that point owned most of. So, ironically, and probably the, the, the weirdest... Like, I remember reading about this, and I was just so surprised at this. Probably, like, the weirdest matchup. It was actually... Carthage and Rome allied against Pyrrhus. Which, like, if you know how history goes, it's just That's, a little bit yeah. here. <laughs> knowing, knowing what I know about, oh, what was what were the wars? The Punic, Punic wars? wars? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those two shouldn't be allies. No, no. I mean, like, man, this is just like, this is kind of, I mean, imagine what happened if Carthage just let, you know, Pyrrhus maybe, like, fuck up Rome a little bit more. I mean, who knows how history could have changed. But, you know, I guess... 
congratulations, Carthage, you played yourself, I guess, in this instance. Yeah, you, you kind of screwed up there. Your, your great enemies could have been trampled a little bit more by elephants. Exactly. And then they, then they wouldn't have to, you know, outspend you in building boats. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, Pierce did exactly what, that, what was feared of him and invaded Sicily in 278 BCE, riding the Carthaginians in several easily won victories. So during these battles, words of the vaunted elephant corps spread, and the Carthaginians were more afraid of them than the Romans were, because uh, they just, the Pyrrhus would just run roughshod over them. So Pyrrhus took most of Sicily, but then the, <laughs> I then, in kind of another little, kind of little fun, little, little turn here. So then the Greek cities that originally asked for his help became more afraid of him than they were of the Carthaginians, because of how much he used his elephants. So, uh, so then Pierce actually, so they basically like said like, okay, we want you out of here because you were scarier than, you know, the other guys. So he ended up returning to Italy in 276 BCE, uh, losing many of his ships, the Carthaginian Navy along the way. Uh, then after he landed, he was ambushed, uh, by the Romans, losing many more of his men and then two elephants. So this time he's down to 15 elephants. So the next battle with the Romans at, was at, uh, Meleventum in 275 BCE. Once again, saw uh, during this battle, once again saw Pierce's elephants scatter the Roman legions. But this time, the Romans had prepared ditches to withdraw behind, so the elephant advance was stopped. So they do some more preparation um, for this battle, and it's working out in their favor. So then, after this, the Romans counterattacked. So one version claims there's a couple different versions of what happened during this battle. So one version claims that the Romans used javelins and flaming arrows to panic the elephants, while another a source uh, claims that the consul had his soldiers move to the rear of the elephants with the torches, since it was said that the elephants were afraid of fire. So uh, there was another version that said that uh, an elephant calf was hit by a javelin, which caused the other elephants to stampede in order to protect that young ca- uh, younger calf. And then uh, now this is the most interesting version, and it's all it's the most weird and also probably the most true for reasons i'm about to explain but this version says that flaming pigs were used to drive back the elephants that's right flaming pigs <laughs> i you know knowing the romans i could actually see that yeah that that sounds really logical that they would be like okay these these big creatures seem to be able to like scare easily maybe if we just threw like a really panicky creature at them that's big enough to distract them. They'll flee and run away. Well, sir, we don't have any really panicky creatures. We have some pigs lying around, don't we? There yes, you go. Sir. Cover them in tar. <laughs> Death by bacon. But Death by bacon. So I'm going to go ahead and describe what happened here in a short little quote. So, um, so... This time, the war elephants were unable to force a victory. The Romans now drove them off using pigs cut up with grease and pitch, which they then turned into live torches. Their shrill, dying squeals made the huge pachyderms panic and put to flight. <laughs> so you, Jesus yeah, Christ. you you gotta you gotta love man. These ancient like authors really had a flair for writing. You know, it's like they they definitely knew how to not make history boring. I I, I always appreciate it. I'm here for it. So. Uh, now, this flaming pig tactic uh, was... This is not even the only time that this tactic was used. It was also used at the Siege of Megara in 266 BCE. It was effective there as riding the elephants, uh, routing the elephants from the city as well. So uh, I say it's most likely that this version of events with the flaming pigs happened 
considering that a coin uh, from the era was found uh, with an elephant on one side and a pig on the other side. So oftentimes the Romans, if there was a big victory, they would like issue commemorative coins, you know, to, like celebrate their battles. And then so this one had a, a pig on one side and then like a, a, a um, elephant jello. So kind of like more than likely that's probably what happened. Uh, they did the same thing when they crushed the uh, the Jewish revolt, where they had like a coin that said like Judea conquered, and they had like a Roman legionary standing over like a weeping you know Jewish you know soldier. So uh, it's pretty common thing that happened back then. Uh, so now eventually, Pyrrhus ended up running out of money and soldiers, and forced to retreat back to uh, Pyrrhus. And at this point, he had no more elephants; he had lost them all. So uh, that was pretty much the ends of the Pyrrhic Wars. It was said the Romans captured four of his elephants and paraded them through Rome in uh, victory triumph. And Rome's defeat of Pyrrhus also proved a medal to the larger Greek empires of the East. And, uh, you know, kind of say like, hey, like, don't fuck around with us. We're not your tiny little city-state to be meddled with, you know, whenever you feel like it. Like, we're a regional power. And then, uh, so it also allowed them to conquer the rest of Italy, with the exception of the Po River Valley, which was mostly uh, populated by, like, Celtic tribes at this point. They were still pretty unruly, and so the Romans wouldn't really conquer that for, you know, another good while. So Pyrrhus would eventually die in Greece at the age of 50, still fighting and refusing to settle down and to govern a kingdom. <laughs> so this is a guy, he, he basically really, really just liked fighting. He was one of those classic rulers that was, like, you know... Really liked fighting and liked doing that, but didn't actually like ruling. So he just wanted to go out and do war, you know? So Yeah. And then... Uh, you know, just a, a typical ruler, kind of like your uh, Henry VIII. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, great. I mean, I wouldn't say he was great at fighting because he did end up, you know, losing a lot of his soldiers and his battles. His invasion of, you know, Italy eventually failed. But he was certainly better at that than he was at actually ruling a uh, functional kingdom. So... Uh, so now we're going to go ahead and get into a little bit of Carthage uh, and its war elephants. So Carthage at this time was a very rich, powerful trading port on the coast of North Africa. It was now modern-day Tunisia. So it founded colonies all along the coast of North Africa, as well as in Spain, Sicily, Corsica, and Sardinia. Now, Carthage didn't really have a, uh, a very large and formidable homegrown military, but it had so much money from all its trading empire that it was able to field very large mercenary armies made up of various different peoples. So you had Gauls, Spaniards, Greeks, Celts, and Numidians. The most famous that we're going to talk a lot about you know, later, especially in the next episode, where, his Numidian, where they're a Numidian cavalry, which were known for being fantastic, like lightly armed or armored uh, cavalry, like great skirmishing troops. So, in a way, kind of like, you know, where Rome has, like, its famous for its, like, very, like, formidable, disciplined, homegrown military where everything is, like, standardized and, like, all, all the, you know, I mean, not this point, later on, but like, oh, all the legions have the same sword and the same shield and the same armor and they're divided this way. Like, Carthage has a very, like, polygot, like, mixture where it has, like, oh, yeah, it's have some Celts who are really good, like, shock fighters and you have some, like, African soldiers who are great for, like, standing in a line and, you know, taking punishment. You've got your, like, skirmishing cavalry. So it's very, like, got a wide variety of soldiers. So now Roman Carthage started to become enemies when they first started to uh, vie over control of the island of Sicily after Pyrrhus left. So uh, in order to kind of, um, you know, in order to face off against the Romans, Carthage sought to create its own war offense. So they paid professionals to capture African forest elephants, and they also built stables to house them and then hired uh, Indian Mahouts to train them. So, and whether or not these guys were actually from India is up to debate because back then, you know, like they basically referred to all Mahouts as like Indians. 
you know, because I just thought that's where my house came from. So, like, if you were a Westerner, so uh, that's... So, yeah, it could have just been, like, any random person, and they were like, and this Indian man is helping us train our elephants. <laughs> He's like, you know I'm from, like, fucking North Africa, right? Like, it's like I'm from Libya, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I'm Egyptian. What, what do you, what do you mean, What the Indian? fuck are you talking about, man? Like, <laughs> but, uh, so... Uh, Carthage's first attempt to use them during the First Punic War ended in failure at the siege of uh, Agrigentum. So Carthage, uh, this failure was because Carthage largely didn't know how to properly use their elephants. It was the first time they were using them. So they instead put them behind the army instead of in front of it. So when their army retreated, they went through the elephants and caused the elephants to panic and stampede. So you generally want, you will either want your elephants to like, if you're going to have them in behind, you need to have them as a reserve to kind of like plug gaps in your lines. Or you want to have them in front, like, to go ahead and serve as a screen for sort of, like, you know, counteract cavalry. You don't want to just have them behind because then this happens. So uh, after another defeat in Africa, the Carthaginians hired the Greek general uh, Xanthobus, uh, who had experience in elephant combats from fighting Pyrrhus. So, which, to, I just think it's really interesting how close together a lot of these historical events had. Because I don't know about you, but when I was younger... I always thought of like, oh, Alexander the Great was like, you know, the very first, you know, like big conqueror, you know, in the ancient world. And he had a long stretch of time. The Romans would come along. And it's like, no, these these events are very, very closely intertwined to each other. Like Alexander dies. Yeah, like, and the successor wars. It's, it, that happens all throughout history where it's just like there's so much so close together that you always forget about or you don't realize. Yeah, like Alexander dies and the successor wars happens and then Pyrrhus gets his, you know, like, experience in the successor wars and he invades Rome and then Rome fights Carthage because they get involved and then it's just like, you know, it's just, you know, it's all intertwined from there. So it's very fascinating. It all spirals from yeah. there. Uh, so in this next battle, uh, Xanthippus put 100 wild fence in front of his army and the cavalry on the flanks. So Consul Regulus of the Roman army tried to pierce through the Carthaginian line with a massive infantry, but in the process, he completely ignored his flanks. So uh, what ended up happening was that the 100 elephants charged and the Roman cavalry scattered. So this left their infantry unprotected in the flanks. And the African cavalry and infantry fell in scores to the elephants. So uh, the Ro- now the Romans still managed to break through the center line, but then they were met by the Carthaginian phalanx. Uh, so they're at this point... They were caught between the phalanx and the elephants, and they ended up dying by the thousands. So that's not a place... Jesus. So you've got massive spears in the front of you, you've got rampaging elephants behind you. It's not the place you want to yeah, be. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like that scene from Game of Thrones, uh, Battle of the Bastards, with the, the crush, mm-hmm. where... Yeah. Not, not good. Yeah, I mean, which is, is also interesting, because in the next episode, we'll talk a bit about the Second Punic War and the Battle of Kanai, and, you know, that's, as I kind of understand in the battle, the bastards was largely kind of based off the first part of it before, of course, you know, the cavalry comes in and saves Jon Snow's ass. But uh, so the first part of it, you know, when the, the crush is happening is largely kind of based off of Kanai because you have, you know, the, the Ramsey is trying to kind of envelop Jon's forces and has them like all on all, you know, three sides and everything. And it's just kind of just like coming in and like slowly kind of whittling down their forces and crushing them. So, uh, you know, achieving a double envelopment, essentially. So, uh, so during this terrible fate, what's up? It's a terrible fate. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no escape. You're like crushed together. You know, you're like, you know, like gasping for air. It's just altogether terrible. So, uh, so only in this battle, only 2000 Romans escaped the coast. Uh, moreover on the way back to Italy, a storm ended up sinking most of their ships. 
So uh, during this battle, Consul Regulus was also captured. And then I'm going to go ahead and read a quote as to what happened to him over here. So, so this is uh, from the historian Diodorus, who gave a detailed account on the Consul's last days. So a uh, quote, Learn the fate that befell Marcus Regulus, the Roman general, after his capture by the Sicels, who were what they referred to as Carthaginians. Uh, they cut off his eyelids with a knife and left his eyes open. Then, having penned him in a very small and narrow hut, they goaded to mad as a wild elephant and decided to draw him down under itself and mangle him. Thus, the great general, as though driven by an avenging fury, breathed his last and died the most wretched death. What the hell? <laughs> yes, they basically cut off his eyelids, and then they just, like, make an elephant really pissed off, and then just, like, trample him to death, so. That is... I mean, I am glad we have the Geneva Convention, <laughs> because that sounds like a terrible way to die as a prisoner of war. I mean, Geneva Convention, Geneva's suggestion, right? We, we don't know what happens, on, you know, behind closed doors. But yeah, no, I would I'd much, you never I'd much rather be a POW nowadays than I would in the ancient times. So uh, I, I don't want to be obliterated by an elephant after my eyelids have been ripped off. Yeah, that's it. No, thank it's not you. a fun way to go. So, uh, and this is no. something the Carthaginians will like do a lot. Actually, is that like you know this will happen in the Second Punic Wars as well. Is that one, oftentimes they would kind of make Roman prisoners like fight in elephants like for entertainment, and you know you, you know how that usually went. So uh, yeah. So the Carthaginians after this battle became overconfident about their elephants, and uh, then the next battle they were handed defeat by the Roman general Metellus at the Battle of Panoramus uh, or Panoramus, I'm sorry, in Sicily. So Metellus in this battle ended up exploiting the overconfidence of the elephants by harassing them with light troops, causing them to charge, and then they were driven back by a prepared ditch combined with missile fire from the city. So the uh, missile fire is very effective against elephants generally. If you can keep them at a distance, like, you know, a, even just something like a well-placed javelin to, like, the right part of the elephant can send it, you know, panning away, and it can also, you know, cause others to retreat as well. So now Carthage uh, would eventually lose the First Punic War, end up giving up Sicily to the Romans in the process. So, however, the Carthaginians were not done with the Romans yet. In 237 BCE, a nine-year-old boy gave a vow to his father to be an eternal enemy of Rome. That boy was Hannibal Barca, son of Hamilcar. And that is where we'll pick up next time. Man, I I cannot wait to talk about Hannibal. Yeah, he's a Hannibal is is one of the wildest people in in history. Yeah, I mean you have people who are like Napoleon nerds, you know. Like I'm a big Hannibal nerd myself. Like I just I love reading about his strategy. You know, the battles of River Trebia, Canai. You know, I used to back when he play like Rome Total War. I'd always like replay those battles and try and set up my own Canai. Like I was always playing as Carthage, you know. I didn't, I didn't care about the Romans. I just wanted to be Hannibal, you know. So, uh, but yeah. So what 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 did you think about this? Did, was there anything that surprised you? I mean, it's it's really just more elephant warfare. Um, I I do love the part where Rome and Carthage just team up together to be like, hey, this this one guy is really kicking our asses. I I don't like you. I'll deal with you soon. But like, for the time being, do you want to do you want to hang out? Do you want to beat up this one guy with me? 
that just blows my mind. I did not know about that. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, if, if the Carthaginians would come to regret aiding the Romans. I'm sure they probably would, you know, later on during the Punic Wars. But uh, yeah, with with the death toll the Punic Wars caused, I'm I'm pretty sure if you give them the the chance to redo it, they would not help the Romans. They'd tell them to fuck off and go with yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, I also think it's just, it's fascinating too the fact that they were able to keep their army. It's 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 amazing that they're able to keep their army supplied with these elephants, considering just I mean the logistical hurdles of like having to get them you know all the way you know oftentimes from like, India and then or you know or northern Africa and then having to you know like march them to wherever you needed to do and then you had to train them for years in order to like actually make them ready to war and then the fact that you can't really breed them and it's just it's. It's and it's it's crazy, you know, considering like you know, the death toll of these battles, how they were able to maintain this system. I mean, in it does show, I think, you know, war elephants are often kind of looked down. I think by a lot of you know historians, kind of like a gimmicky weapon, you know. But I mean, clearly, if they're going through all this expense and all this and, you know time to maintain these elephant corps and you know in their army, then they clearly put place value on them. And, you know, the generals do at the very least. Yeah, they are, well, like, vitally important to these people. Yeah. And just, like, with the knowledge that, like, they are weapons that you can essentially use, and when you run out or, like, you start to run low, you're doomed. Yeah. Like, because everybody else is going to have more by that. Well, exactly. Yeah, you, 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 you don't want to be the, the general in battle. If you're going to go up, you, you don't want to be elephant-less if you're, if you're going up against another army that does have elephants. You know, it's yeah. it's going to put you at an immediate disadvantage. I mean, I mean, just the, I also think just the morale part of of the uh, of the of the elephants too. I mean, like having knowing that your army has a bunch of these massive elephants that are going to strike fear in the heart of your enemy uh, that may have never seen them before. You know, like if you're like you know Pyrrhus going up against the Romans is a, a massive morale boost. Yeah, exactly. It's you want to have as much of an advantage as you can and at this point in time having more elephants was the advantage oh it definitely gives you that advantage no doubt so uh, we are going to go ahead and uh, uh pack uh <laughs> pack up we're going to pick up next time uh talk about the second punic wars and that'll be episode four of our series on the history of war elephants so uh, until next time uh have a good one guys see you then everyone